name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today is the third Sunday of Lent. How's everybody doing? Good. Everybody's okay? I've got, I just want to show you this. We've got this, this um, thing that's on the back table back there. The season of Lent, it kind of explains what Lent is about. If it's not something that you're familiar with, you can pick it up on the back table before you head out today. But it is the third Sunday of Lent, and we've been in Lent now for 19 days. I'm not counting, but we've been in Lent for 19 days, and I wish we were halfway through it, but we're not. We've got 28 more days to go until Easter, but I'm not counting. And um, I have to tell you that I really need some Easter right now. I need Easter now because I really messed up on my Lenten discipline this last week. And I know we're not supposed to talk about what we gave up for Lent, but um, I'm supposed to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk about it, because I'm supposed to be giving up grains and, and sweets. But on Wednesday, I gave in to temptation. We, uh, I had made some salsa, some home, homemade salsa, which I'm really amazing at making, homemade salsa. <laughs> and it was just sitting in there, lonely in the fridge. And I felt so sorry for it. And, um, and so I grabbed this bag of chips that just happened to be in the, in the cupboard there, and, and I had some chips and salsa, and it was so good, so good. And since, that, since at that point I had already given in to the temptation uh, to eat stuff that I'd promised to give up, I remembered that there was this half a pint of ice cream <laughs> in, the, in, the, in, the, in the freezer. And I just thought, I can't just leave it in there all by itself. And so I ate that too. And then... The next day, this is bad, this is bad. Uh, then the next day, I saw that my mo- mother-in-law had brought my kids a pack of M&Ms, uh, a little peanut M&Ms, just a little pack, and uh, they were going to have to save it until Sunday because they've given up sweets during Lent too. And I just saw it there on Thursday morning, just sitting there on the counter. And I just thought, hmm. And then I went to work. I didn't eat them that morning. I went to work, and I just thought about those M&Ms all day long. <laughs> And when I got back home, there they were, just sitting there, unopened on the counter. And I ate those two when I got home. Sorry, kids, I'll buy you a pack of M&Ms to replace. I'm sorry, Gray. I know, right? Anyway, and so for multiple days this week, there I was, doing the very thing I didn't want to do. I was breaking my Lenten fast, and the more I did it, the easier it was, easier it was for me to keep doing it, and the harder it was for me to stop. And this happens almost every year to me. I start Lent with these great, with a strong sense of purpose, dedication, but somewhere along the way I mess up. Um, anyway, I, I, yeah, it, it was terrible. It was terrible. So there I was thinking about uh, how horrible I was for giving up uh, our Lenten, my Lenten discipline. And then I read the readings for this Sunday. Our, our readings today deal directly with this issue. Not having no self-control and eating ice cream when you're not supposed to, but uh, of wanting to do one thing, but then finding yourself doing something completely different. Today, on this third Sunday of Lent, the church has us reading all about the law, and we're reading about the law a lot. Our first re- in our first reading, God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Uh, and then in our psalm, the, the, our psalm tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect refreshment for the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure light for the eyes, perfect refreshment for the whole person. And then Paul tells us that even though we might want to do what is right, even though we might want to live according to God's law, our flesh just cannot do it without God's help. 
I've always understood giving up things for Lent uh, to, to have several purposes. Uh, the, the first is to deny ourselves for the purpose of showing us that as followers of Jesus and people filled with his Holy Spirit, that we've been given the power to control our appetites rather than be controlled by them. Does that make sense? So giving up stuff for Lent helps us to know that uh, and experience that if we are in Christ, if we have been made a new creation in him and given his Holy Spirit, then with God's help, we really can control our appetites. We don't have to give ourselves into them just needlessly. Another purpose is to cause uh, ourselves to be constantly reminded of what Jesus did for us on the cross, to be reminded of the costliness of our redemption. See, whenever I think about whatever it is that I gave up for Lent, whenever I'm tempted just a little bit uh, to have that amazing something, it causes me to pause and to be, well, usually, except for this last week, where I just just gave myself to it, but it should cause me to pause and be reminded of everything that Christ gave up for me so that you and I could have life. And if you're like me, then you're getting those reminders constantly throughout Lent because as soon as I give up something, then that's when I start thinking about it from, the, from day one, I just start constantly thinking about that one thing for 40 days straight. So I'm constantly being brought back to, the, to a mindfulness of the cross. And that's a great thing. A third purpose is this, to make Easter all the more joyful by allowing it to be something that I feel, not only in my mind and in my heart, but with my whole body, my whole self, my whole being. I mean, if you, think about it. If you've given up uh, chocolate or, or coffee or ice cream or whatever it is uh, since the beginning of Lent. And then when Easter finally arrives, now that Christ is risen, suddenly you're able to partake of those good things again. And it's not just your heart and your mind rejoicing, but your body gets to rejoice in the resurrection as well. That's something I love about this church, about Anglicanism. It's not like a game of flag football. It's not. It's a full contact religion. Anglicanism involves one's whole body. It involves the whole human person in worship. We offer God our, our, our worship with our bodies. We stand to our feet. We get down on our knees. We hear the word of God spoken. We taste the bread and wine. We feel the bread on our hands. We feel the wine on our lips. And we can sing with our voices. We love with our hearts. Our faith isn't something that happens just in our minds. It happens in our whole bodies. And Lent helps us to remember with our whole bodies what it cost our Lord to go to the cross. And when Easter comes, we get to experience the joy of the resurrection with our whole bodies as well. Because suddenly, Christ is risen. And all the good things that we've given up for Lent, we get to take them back again. The coffee and the chocolate and the ice cream. And you can literally taste the joy of the resurrection as you partake of all those good things. Your whole body gets to celebrate new life in Christ. I love that. What a cool thing. But after reading these readings, and especially after reading the one from Paul this morning, it occurred to me that there's another reason to observe Lent with acts of self-denial. And that reason is this. When you fail in your Lenten discipline, as I have failed badly this week, when you fail in your discipline, it reminds you and it reminds us that what Paul says in Romans 7 is true. In and of ourselves, we are not able to do as we want to do. We do the very thing that we do not want because there is a war, Paul tells us, a war that's going on inside of us. One part wants to honor God and the other part wants to do the opposite thing. It's a war 
between, on the one hand, our desire to honor God and our desire to honor our flesh. Our desire to fill our bodies with milkshakes or coffee or champagne or bang-bang shrimp or whatever it is that you've given up. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to stop right now and ask you to just be honest with me for a minute. We've already confessed our sins this morning, so it's okay if you have. But has anybody failed a little bit on your Lenten discipline, or is it only the priest? (laughs) Okay, all right, good. I'm not alone. That's good to know. Uh, if, If you've broken your Lenten discipline, even in just a small way, then today you know, today you know you've experienced firsthand that you are at some level unable to do even that simple thing. And that, I think, is a good example of what Paul is saying in Romans. Listen to what Paul says as he describes the natural state of all human beings since Adam. And when he says this, he's really speaking for all of us. This is page four of your bulletin. It's at the bottom of the page, starting at verse 17, if you want to follow along. He says, I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I don't do the good I want, but the evil that I don't want, that is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells within me. Now Romans 7 is one of the most dense and theologically challenging of all of Paul's uh, writings, and so I'm only going to be able to scratch the surface Today. But notice that Paul says several times in this short section uh, that when a person has sin dwelling within them, when they are indwelt by sin, they're going to do evil, even when they want to do the good. They want to do the good, but they're going to do evil. Paul says that people who are indwelt by sin can want to do the good. They can know what the good is, and, what, and, and they can want to do it. They can believe that it's the right thing to do. They can even desire to do the right thing. But They don't have the power in themselves to actually do the good that they want to do. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you just can't seem to do the right thing even though you want to? Now don't start thinking about somebody else in your life that you know that's just like that. (laughs) This is actually about us. This is about you. This is about me. This is about everyone who shares flesh with Adam. If there is sin in us, then we will sometimes do the right thing. But oftentimes, the evil that we know that we shouldn't do, that we don't even want to do, that's what we're going to find ourselves doing. But here's what's interesting. Paul says in that case, when the person wants to do the right thing, but just can't seem to do it, it's no longer that person who does the evil. Paul says, if you look at the text, Paul says, it's the sin that dwells in the person that does the evil. He says that twice. Paul blames the sin, not the person. Because the person knew the right thing and wanted to do the right thing, but just didn't have the power in themselves to do the right thing because of the sin that was dwelling in them. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And anyone who has ever experienced what Paul is talking about will immediately understand how that feels. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. You want to do the right thing? but there seems to be this force inside of you that is tempting you to do everything but that right thing. This applies to the big things in our lives. It applies to the little things. So often we are tempted to turn away in this world from the need that we see all around us. I mean, how easy it is just to drive past the need that we see. 
We don't want to be dishonest in our work, but how tempted are we to bend the truth just a little to get ahead, to make us look better. We want to be patient and loving with our kids, but so often life just gets frenzied. And the next thing we know, we've lost our cool. And how hard is it for us to give up sodas or ice cream or meat or TV or whatever it is for the 40 days of Lent? We want to do good, but evil lies close at hand. Sometimes we feel so powerless to resist it. And then Paul cries out. With all of us who've ever felt that powerless, Paul cries out, who will rescue me? from this body of death. And at the end of the passage, Paul says, so then I of myself, I Paul, I John, I am enslaved to the law of of God with my mind. I believe it's right and I want to follow it, but with my flesh, I'm enslaved to the law of sin. And here's the shocking thing. The shocking thing is that, uh, that our reading stops right there in Romans. Our reading stops right there. It leaves us right there in the middle of Lent with that final statement about being enslaved to the law of God with our minds, but at the same time being enslaved to the law of sin in our flesh. And the question that hangs over it all is, who will rescue me from this body of death? And I get, I get why the church has us read it like that. I get why the church has us stop our reading right there. Because the church wants us to want, wants us to be longing for that person to rescue us, especially during the season of Lent. The church wants that to be the longing of our hearts. The church wants us to long desperately to be rescued. It wants us to long desperately for someone to come and be our rescuer, to come and save us. And so the church, we follow the church's reading calendar, and the church stops our reading right there and leaves us right there longing to be rescued, right there in the middle of Lent. But I can't do it. I can't stop right there. I can't do it. I need a rescuer. I know my sin. I know that there's ice cream in the stores that I could go buy this week, and I don't want to do it again. And so I need a rescuer. I know the struggle it is to do the right thing, and I know how often I fail to do it. I need to know that someone has come to rescue us. And thankfully, Paul, when he wrote this, he doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell us in the very next sentence that he wrote, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And why not, Paul asks? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus released you from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law was incapable of of doing. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. And right there in the flesh, he condemned sin. That was, this was so that the right and proper verdict of the law could be fulfilled in us. That's the beginning of Romans chapter 8. Uh, when Paul wrote this, he didn't, he didn't label the chapters and number the verses. He just wrote what he was writing, and the very next thing he said was, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. People, the good news of the gospel is this. We are not left here crying out, who will rescue me from this body of death? Because someone did come on a rescue mission. He came to rescue us from this body of death. And that someone is Jesus, God's own son. And God condemned sin in his flesh on the cross. He didn't condemn us. He condemned sin in his flesh on the cross. He condemned it. He defeated it. He stripped it it of its power. And he set us free. And now there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. See, when we are in Adam which is the natural state of every human being, when we are in Adam, sin 
dwells in us. And we cannot do what is right on our own, no matter how much we want to. But when we are in Christ, which is what happens when we put our faith and our hope in him, there is no condemnation for us. Sin's power is done away with. The Spirit of God comes to dwell in us and empower us to live lives that are pleasing to God. That's the good news. Someone has come to rescue us from this body of death, and his name is Jesus. Sin has been defeated. Sin has been condemned. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So hear this. I'm hearing this. If you've messed up already this Lent like me, hear the word of God. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If you've found yourself doing really, really bad things in your life and you are so ashamed, then trust in God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you regret that your life is just so busy and you're not patient with your kids like you want to be, then believe it. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you are the type of person who takes every opportunity to think badly of yourself and to condemn yourself, then trust in God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you think, you know what, I'm just not the type of person that God likes. I've made too big a mess of my life. Who would want to rescue someone like me? God says, I've sent my own son for you. And there's no condemnation for anyone who is in him. And people, that is good news. Amen.